to another edition of the weekly walk-off on the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, flying solo today as Pat is on his way to Hilton Head for a family vacation, so we miss him, but I have some awesome baseball content to get through And the reason for this specific content today is because teams are either at, just over, or just under 50 games. And I think that is a significant milestone in this season. If you look back to just last year in the shortened 2020, a 60-game season at 50 games, we would be hanging on to the end of the quote-unquote regular season. It's just crazy to think about the difference between then and now, but 50 games is a pretty good sample size to tear into. And the angle that I am going to take today is looking back on the over-under predictions that Pat and I made before the season started. So if you'd like to really get back in that mindset, go back to the episode that dropped on March 24th. It was called MLB Season Preview Over-Unders Edition. In that episode, Pat and I picked one interesting over-under from each division. We also talked about one player to watch in every division. Check that out. And then in this episode on on Walk Off Today, I'm going to check in on those predictions, tell you how Pat and I are doing, what the current pace is, and what these six teams need to focus on in their next 50 games as we get to the next chunk of the MLB season. So I'm super excited. Let's get right into it. And we will start with the Toronto Blue Jays, who at the beginning of the season, their preseason win number was 86.5. Pat took the over and I took the under. And right now I am looking pretty good because the Blue Jays current record is 25 and 23 coming off a win Yesterday, actually, so just for some perspective here, I am recording before game two of the doubleheader on Thursday night. So Alex Manoa, in his MLB MLB debut, got the win. That brought the Blue Jays to 23-25. and This is before game two. Their current pace, based on that win percentage, is 84 wins. So just under that preseason 86.5 mark. Right now, the Blue Jays are in a cold streak, a six-game losing streak, or not currently, but they had hit one recently, and it came against AL East opponents. It came against the really good Red Sox offense that Pat and I have talked about a lot, which was quote-unquote overperforming, but at this point, it seems sustainable. And also against the streaking Rays, who won 11 straight, catapulted themselves into the lead in the ALS, which has become a really interesting four-game race. At one point, the Blue Jays were six games over 500. Right now, they're just kind of clawing their way into relevance. Some positives on their season so far. Marcus Semien, an off-season pickup for them, added some veteran presence to this otherwise really young, exciting core, has been one of the best hitters in baseball in May. Pair him with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who has been one of the best hitters in baseball, period, since the season started, and you have two legitimate MVP candidates. Semyon might need another good month under his belt if he wants to keep that MVP race going, but Vladdy is tied for the league lead in home runs with 16. 
He's top four in homers, batting average, and RBI, and he leads the league in OPS. If the, if it weren't for Shohei Otani, with Mike Trout on the injured list, I would give my AL MVP to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and I wouldn't even think twice about it. The other positive is that this team, except for the past few days, before that, before they hit that cold streak, and unfortunately for them, it came against the most important opponents in the AL East, but before that, they really had started to click on all cylinders, pitching, hitting, relief pitching, and they're still waiting for George Springer to be fully healthy and be back. Alejandro Kirk has been hurt. I think he could be a big piece for them when he gets healthy. And this bullpen still needs to get back to 100%. The Blue Jays are still two games over 500, and they don't have three of those big components. On the negative side, also make sure to check out the week, the weekly walk-off we dropped, I believe it was two weeks ago, with Lucas Weiss. We did a Blue Jays deep dive. We talked a lot about the bullpen. And while it has been a strength for them at times, right now, it is a weakness. The Blue Jays bullpen ERA in April was 2-5-2. You had guys like Jordan Romano, Julian Merriweather, really dominating the storylines. In May, their ERA is almost 4.7. That number is going to have to go down. It continues to be hit by the injury bug. David Phelps is now out for the season. That's a huge blow. You have guys like Merriweather on the way back. You're, of course, still without Kirby Yates for the season. That was a huge blow for them before the season even started. He's having Tommy John surgery. They, so far, the Blue Jays' bullpen has really caught lightning in a bottle. Tyler Chatwood has looked like a different pitcher than he's been the past five seasons. When he starts to melt down, then you start asking a lot of questions and wondering whether the Blue Jays can sustain the success they've had. It was only one bad start. Hopefully, he can find the strike zone again, and that same thing can be applied to a couple other guys. The bullpen just needs to be consistent. And then the rest of the starting rotation, which has still been very good, the trio of Hanji Ryu, Robbie Ray, and Steven Matz, and the pitching staff should be fine. The offense is always going to carry this team, but one negative that has been definitely highlighted in this cold streak has been the bottom of the lineup. In that six-game losing streak, the combination of Rowdy Telez, Danny Jensen, Reese McGuire, Jonathan Davis, and Santiago Espinal went a combined 10 for 69, which is a 145 batting average. Pat and I have said all season long, 1-7 to seven in Toronto could be the best core in baseball. But at times, the 7-8-9 batters are going to struggle. And I truly think that the bottom third of the lineup makes or breaks a team. If, the, if your bottom of the lineup cannot hang, cannot come up clutch in key situations, it doesn't matter how many stars you have. And the Blue Jays do have a lot of stars, but they, are, they need to get more production out of the bottom of their lineup and their bullpen. I still think the Blue Jays are in a good spot. The AL East is still tight, and you're, going, you're not going to see this type of dominance from the Rays all season long. It's still fluctuating. I think the Blue Jays are happy with where they are right now. They just need a few more pieces to come back healthy for them to really make their run. Now we shift to the AL Central. And I don't think anybody saw this coming. Pat and I focused on the Minnesota Twins. Their preseason number was 88 and a half wins. 
Pat and I both went over and we could not have been more wrong. The Minnesota Twins currently have a 20 and 29 record. I'm checking right now to see if that is the worst in baseball. The the Orioles are 17 and 32. Detroit is 19 and 39. But man, I don't think anybody could have expected Minnesota to implode the way they have this season. They're currently on pace to have 66 wins, which is 22 less than their preseason mark. That has got to be one of the biggest differentials that we have so far this season. With that being said, they have hit a little bit of a hot streak of late. They've won six of their last seven. And the positives have been some members of this pitching staff are starting to finally find themselves again. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. If Michael Pineda is your ERA leader and when it's his day to pitch, that's when fans get most excited, that is not a good thing. He has been consistent, but he is a day four starter at best. Kenta Maeda has been struggling. Jose Barrios has been struggling. Barrios is coming off of a good outing. He's coming off of a win. And you've also got unlikely candidates stepping up at the right time. And the most unlikely candidate has been Rob Ref Snyder. He currently leads the team with a 438 batting average. It's only in 36 at bats. But the thing with the Twins is one of their negatives is that they really haven't all been healthy at the same time. Nelson Cruz, Alex Kirilov, Jorge Polanco, Byron Buxton has been the most notable name to spend time in the IL. Even Josh Donaldson and Max Kepler have spent time banged up. When that happens, and you have to expect that to happen, you need guys to step up. Ref Snyder has been one of those guys. Randy Dobnak has been another guy to step up to try and stabilize both the offense and the pitching staff so that things don't get completely out of reach by the time these guys do come back healthy. I am willing to say right now that at eight and a half games behind the White Sox, it has gotten too far out of hand for the Twins. I do think they are a seller at the deadline. I think the White Sox are too good and the Twins have let it get too bad for anything short of a miracle to happen. The Nationals were 19-31 and 31 before they went on to win the World Series. I get that. But the Twins haven't shown enough, even in this 6-7 of seven win stretch, to really prove to me that they can turn things around. And the biggest negative is that Kenta Maeda is a shell of himself. He finished second in the AL Cy Young voting last year in 2020. This year... He has a 5.27 ERA. It doesn't look much better with a 5.04 FIP. He has a 1.4, uh, excuse me, 5.04 FIP, and then he has a 1.477 WHIP. His 8.2 strikeouts per nine innings is a career low. He just doesn't have the same wipeout stuff that he had last year. Batters have figured him out, and to take that ace away at this at the top of this Twins rotation makes the entire rest of the rotation much less much less dangerous. You hope to have all these hitters back. Nelson Cruz is still tearing the cover off the ball. Donaldson's playing well. When Buxton comes back, hopefully he is as good as he was before he got hurt. But I think all of it is just a little bit too late, especially with how good the White Sox are this year. So, so far, Pat is 0 for 2. I am 1 for 2. And now we go to the Houston Astros, and I am about to be 
two for three. Preseason mark for Houston, 86 and a half wins. Pat went under. I went hard over because I am very confident in this Houston Astros offense, and I remain confident with their 27 and 22 record. Their current pace is 89 wins, just over their preseason mark. They were just swept by Texas. So actually, all these teams that I'm talking about are either coming off of a cold streak or a hot streak. The AL West is definitely a division to watch. Oakland currently has a one-game lead. They've been one of the streakiest teams in baseball. Houston and Oakland is going to be one of the tightest races that we see all season long. And behind them, it really, it's not an entity. Seattle's five and a half games. Angels are six. Texas, the Rangers are seven games behind. So that's why when the Astros get swept by a team like the Rangers, who are non-competitive, that's when alarm bells start going off. I'll start with the negatives here. Injuries. Lance McCullers Jr., a guy they put a hell of a lot of money into this offseason. He's on the I.L., Jake Odorizzi has been on the I.L. for a month. Fran Valdez hasn't pitched an inning. It is forcing Houston to rely on young starters. And besides Luis Garcia, those young starters, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, haven't been great. The bullpen hasn't been as locked down as it's been in the past. The saving grace for this Houston team is its offense. And I want to give one... He continues to be a sleeper hitter. Because there are so many stars above and below him, but it's Yuli Gurriel. He has a 151 OPS plus right now. That would be a career high, and it'd be by over 30 points. Bregman has been really good. Jose Altuve has been incredible. Carlos Correa has been about average. Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez have been good too. But Yuli Gurriel truly is putting this Houston offense over the top. And to have him in the five or six spot makes this lineup so dangerous. Some other huge positives, it re- it goes back to the pitching staff. Because the reason why I think the Blue Jays still won't make the playoffs is because they don't have the pitching behind Hunju Ryu. The Astros right now don't have the pitching behind Zach Greinke. This weekend and next week, that could potentially change. Framber Valdez who at the beginning of the season, we weren't sure if his finger injury was going to cost him the entire season. He is set to make his debut on Friday. As you are listening to this episode, Framber Valdez is warming up for his first start of the season. Jake Odorizzi is set to make his first start in a month on Sunday. And Jose Urquidy, who has missed a few weeks, could be back by Monday. Having those guys back and the Lance McCullers Jr. injury isn't doesn't seem to be too bad right now. Having a full rotation could give the Astros some really big momentum to try and get up over the A's. They will live and die by the rotation. If Zach Greinke can't hold it up at the top and a guy like Christian Javier can't hold it down at the bottom, then they are going to struggle. And they need length out of their starters because you just can't count on the Houston bullpen right now. I Houston is scoring... One of the highest runs per game numbers in the league. They're incredible against left-handed pitching. Over six runs per game against lefties. It doesn't matter if the pitching isn't up to par. I think they're okay with where they are right now. They are definitely looking towards the future and looking to see how dangerous they can be with a full, healthy rotation.
Now, with the AL, I'll put a bow on that. We will move to the NL. And the team that Pat and I focused on in the NL East, a division that we heralded as the most exciting division race to watch in baseball, the NL East, one team is over 500. I will run through the records just so you can hear them. On the night of Thursday, May 27th, the Mets are in the lead with a 24-20 and 20 record. Phillies right behind them, 25-26. and 26. Atlanta's 24-25. and 25. Miami's 24-26. and 26. And Washington is 21-24. and 24. If the Mets were in any other division in baseball, they'd be more than two games behind the leader. That just shows you how different reality is in the NL East versus our expectations. That still doesn't mean it won't be the most interesting division. It will just be lesser competition. But a lot of these teams have been ravaged by injury and none more so than the Mets. That's really what this segment is going to be about. But at the beginning of the season, preseason, the Mets were at 90.5 wins. Pat and I both went over. We were very confident in uh, Cohen, Steve Cohen and Standy Alderson's offseason, it being one of the best offenses in the history of the franchise. Pat and I were all in thinking that this offense and the pitching staff would be one of the best in baseball. So far, they have been everything but that. They're 24 and 20, like I mentioned, current pace, 88 wins. So it's technically just under 90. The Mets are just a weird team. And I. this is why I wanted to do this episode at the 50-game mark. Because 50 is a legitimate sample. At what point do the Braves realize that they might just not have it this year? Same with the Phillies. The Mets have a little bit of a different angle because they don't have anybody. All of their relevant players are pretty much on the I.L., And one of the negatives is that the relevant players that are healthy are in one of the worst stints of their career, most notably Francisco Lindor, who I'll get into in a second. I think the the Mets should still have some hope, and this is actually why Pat identified them as one of the hottest teams in baseball last week on our weekly walk-off, because they are continuing to miraculously find ways to win despite having 10, 12, 14-plus players on the injures list. So the the positive, the one positive that I have is that Jacob deGrom is back. He leads the league in ERA. He is well on his way to another Cy Young. He has been dominant. The, I believe it was the Palm Beach Cardinals. I can't remember the exact name of the minor league team that he made his rehab start against, but it was just so funny seeing that social media team talk about Jacob deGrom. It just wasn't fair. You cannot have Jacob deGrom throwing 100 to minor league players and expect them to do anything but strike out. And that's exactly what happened. He was great in his return, didn't get the win, but it just shows how key deGrom is to this Mets team. When you've got the lineup of names you will not recognize, and you can still say that the Mets have a chance to win because they have the best pitcher in baseball on the mound. And the negatives, it's that everybody is hurt Not a lot of guys are coming back soon, and if they're not hurt, they're slumping. Francisco Lindor on Thursday finally uh, snapped an 0-for-16 streak. You expect him to come around at some point, but again, 
50 games is a pretty sizable sample. He's hitting 185 on the season with a 62 OPS plus. I do think that the Mets are in one of the better places in the division because they can blame all of this on injuries. Cameron Mabin isn't going to start when all of their outfielders come back. That being said, I do still think it will be a very busy time for the Mets front office at the deadline because they still need another pitcher. Unfortunately, Norris Syndergaard was shut down on Thursday for another six weeks. Carlos Carrasco has had a setback. Taiwan Walker has spent time in the IL. They just need help. That is the bottom line. The Nets need the Mets need help, and right now it's just on the 40-man roster to hold down the fort until these guys can come back. Now we move to the NL Central. The NL Central and the AL Central are pretty much flipped right now. They're kind of polar opposites of each other. We thought that the Twins versus the White Sox could be one of the most interesting division races in baseball. We thought that the NL Central would be kind of a joke. I thought it would be the Brewers. A lot of people thought it would be the Cardinals. I knew it wouldn't be the best baseball. But right now, it's a pretty good race. And it's between the Cubs and the Cardinals, who are both tied for first place. Milwaukee's two and a half games behind them, and then Cincinnati and Pittsburgh aren't in contention five and nine games out of first place, respectively. But Pat and I focused on the Cubs, and it was mostly because of the busy offseason they had in the wrong way, sending away you Jar- Darvish, being in the headlines all the time because of the uncertainty about Chris Bryant's future, and they have played pretty dang well so far this season. They're over-under total, 79 and a half wins. Pat went under, I went over, and right now, I am right. Once again, I wish Pat was here because he is having a hard time, and he knows I'm just giving him a hard time, but I am doing pretty well right now. The Cubs' current records, same with the Astros, 27 and 22. That's an 89-win pace. The biggest question is whether this style of play is sustainable. I'll run through some really interesting numbers. So the Cubs, they've won 10 of their last 13 games. They've won four straight series. And while the competition hasn't been super high, that was one of the strengths of the NL Central for whoever comes out on top. Whoever comes out on top won't have to play very hard opponents. And that's why they would be able to accumulate wins. It's just when they got to the postseason that they would struggle because of the level of competition in division was so much weaker. I don't have a problem with that. If teams beat up on worse teams, that shows that they are a good team, that they are a better team. I have no problem with it. So to run about, to run through how streaky the Cubs have been, and I'm also going to talk about the Dodgers and some of those numbers are crazy too. On April 19th, The Cubs were last in the league in batting average, second to last in runs, and they had the third highest strikeout rate in baseball. Since then, they're putting the ball in play way more often. They're getting productive outs, which means they're sacrificing. They're moving runners over. They're not getting involved in the three outcomes that baseball has turned into, which is walk, striking out, and home runs. They're getting productive outs putting the ball in play, they're stealing bases, they're doing better against the fastball, which is one of their biggest weaknesses. Their WOBA is 360, which is eighth in baseball, and they're hitting 274 as a team. 
against fastballs, which is ninth in the league. So they have vaulted themselves into the top 10 in almost every important offensive category, which is a huge leap. And it's because, I gotta give myself more credit here, Chris Bryant is back to his old form. I mentioned in this season over-unders preview episode that Chris Bryant was my dark horse MVP candidate. Dark horse MVP no longer. He is a legitimate MVP right now. Maybe behind Ronald Acuna Jr. in the NL. Bryant has a 176 OPS plus. He's hit 10 homers. His OPS is 991. He has played four positions well this season. You can literally put him everywhere, which is so valuable. And he has rejuvenated this offense. Plus Anthony Rizzo finding his form again. Javi Baez really struggled at the beginning of the season, but he's been doing better of late. Nico Horner had been playing better. He actually was just put on the IL this past week. But then what I really need to focus on is Craig Kimbrell. Because he is now 11th on the all-time saves list. Saves list. Of course, he was the workhorse in the Red Sox bullpen back in 2018 when they won. He really fell out of relevance. He struggled on the Cubs the past season, and now he's back. And he's one of few pitchers across baseball still with an ERA under one. My biggest question, the only thing I have in the negatives column is, is this sustainable? Can the pitching staff continue to compete? You've got guys like Jake Arrieta, Is he going to still pitch valuable innings down the stretch? 50 is a legit sample, but it is still early. Kimbrell's a guy you can expect to count on all the way through. What about Zach Davies? Kyle Hendricks had a really bad start. He's pitching better. Which one can you count on? Those are the type of questions that the Cubs are going to be asking, but right now you are absolutely psyched by how well the core of... Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, Baez, and Hap are playing, but the question that everybody has been asking for three years, what does Bryant's future look like? And I still think he is going to be dealt. I don't know if it will be at the deadline. If he continues to play like this, the Cubs might not be able to make the move because it would look so bad, but think about what the Cubs can get back for him. He deserves to be on a team that is going to try and win the World Series. While the Cubs are doing much better than I expected them to, they are certainly not there. They are certainly not a title contending team. But a lot of things have been going right, and I don't think it's all luck. So the Cubs, I think right now, they're happy with where they are. They continue to try and go out and win the Central against the Cardinals, whose offense has been struggling, and they really just see if it's sustainable. And then lastly, I will finish on the team in the NLS that Pat and I focused on, and it is the LA Dodgers. And we focused on this team because they had one of the highest over-under marks in recent memory at 102.5. I went over just for the sake of saying over. Pat went under, and he is correct. Their current record, the Dodgers are 30-19. and Their current pace based on their win percentage 99 wins. So it actually isn't too significantly under. Did I really think that the Dodgers were going to win over 103 games? Yes, because their talent is there. The one thing that could have held them back? Injuries, and that is exactly what has held them back 
so far. But this this is the team that I've been most excited to talk about because their ride has literally been a roller coaster. Right now, they've won 12, 12 of 14. They're on an eight-game winning streak as of Thursday night. They swept Arizona. Then they swept San Francisco, which was a really important series because the Dodgers had been trailing the Giants all season long. Now the Padres have just a one-game lead over both the Dodgers and the Giants, who are tied at 30-19. and 19. Behind them, Colorado is 13 games behind, and Arizona is 13 and a half. So we definitely knew that the NL West was going to be a two-team race, and we've been lucky enough to see the Giants overperform, and now it's a three-game race. Let me bring you through the beginning of the season, or the 50 games so far. In the Dodgers' first 16 games, they went 14-2. and two. In their next 19 games, they went 4-15, and 15, and that was when everybody was absolutely losing their heads. So the 14-2 and two was, oh my god, they're going to win 115 games. In their next 19, oh my god, they're not even going to make it to the playoffs. And in their last 14 games, they've gone 12-2. and two. If nothing else, the Dodgers just need to find the happy medium. They're in a good spot. They're only one game behind. They'll have a ton more games against both the Pirate, uh, excuse me, the Padres and the Giants. It's a similar perspective that the Mets have. The Dodgers, all they need to do is stay afloat until their guys get back, and it is almost that time. Cody Bellinger is expected to come back this weekend. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I really think that that is their saving grace. When they can get Cody Bellinger back, even though Corey Seager is still out, even though there's still bullpen depth issues, Cody Bellinger will bring such stability to this lineup, and they won't have to rely on guys that they're just picking out of the minor league system to perform, and I think that really just stabilizes everybody really well. Such a dangerous middle-of-the-lineup bat to insert back into this team. Another positive has been the pitching staff. It has been as good as advertised. They had the crushing blow of losing Dustin May. Tony Gonson is now on the 60-day IL, but Bauer, Kershaw, Bueller and Julio Urias have been incredible. Best four pitchers, arguably in the NL right now, and they are all on the same team. There is, in a four game series, there is no pitcher that a team can think that they can capitalize on, if that makes sense. Like, there's no easy part in this lineup. And even if it's a bullpen day, you've got David Price, a former Cy Young winner, in the bullpen. You've got Joe Kelly, who has really looked good of late. On offense, the the depth option has been a problem. In the pitching staff, at least in the starting rotation, that has not been a problem at all because they've been so good. Negatives, it still is the depth. Gavin Lux, I actually wanted to give Pat some credit. Pat said that a lot of momentum would ride on whether Gavin Lux can step up, and he has of late. He's played short a lot in the wake of Corey Seager, and he's looked really good. Sheldon Noisy has looked good. Zach McKinstry is expected back this weekend. Finally, things are coming back. And even if the Dodgers had dropped 10 of their last 15, instead of going 12 for 2, I think there would still be hope. Now that they went on that hot streak, and they proved that they can do it without 
their main guys, I don't know what's stopping this Dodgers team. And maybe they are, if they can catch more lightning in a bottle, maybe they are going to get back to that 103 win pace. They are going to be a fun team to watch. The NL West is going to be fun to watch all season long. And it's just going to be waiting on that calendar, seeing how guys like Seager and Jimmy Nelson and Bruce Dog Rotterall, how they recover, and Cody Bellinger, obviously, and whether this pitching staff can t- continue to pitch lights out each and every night. So just to sum up, I was right on the Blue Jays. We were both wrong on the Twins. I was right on the Astros. We were both wrong on the Mets. I was right on the Cubs, and Pat was right on the Dodgers. We we picked the over-under totals that we were most interested in preseason, and I think they have held up pretty well. All these division races are still tight, and I think you can assume that 50 games into the season, but we are at a really critical time. A couple of years ago, Hanley Ramirez was in the three spot at the 50-game mark, and the Red Sox ended up Going with Mitch Moreland for the rest of the season, that was it. Anything can change once we hit 50 games. We've seen trades happen. We're going to see more trades happen. And this is when baseball starts to get so fun. We've got the playoffs. We've got NBA and NHL. We've got baseball going on. The WNBA. So much good stuff. So much on to watch at night. But that will wrap up the weekly walk-off, walking off the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to check out the over-under season previews, the full edition of this episode that we did back before opening day, just to get more perspective on some players to watch in each of those divisions as well. Make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. Pat and I have a bunch of really good baseball content coming your way as we close the chapter on May. That is actually my favorite time to create content. At the end of the month, we're going to be doing all-stars, team all-stars, league all-stars, pitchers and players of the month. So much stuff to get excited about. Stay tuned in with us. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DidYouHearPod. Have a great weekend. We will be back next week for our weekly episode on Wednesday and our walk-offs on Friday. But for now, that's a wrap.